Hey guys, this is Enrica Jang with Red Stylo Media, and you are listening to Adrian King and Adrian Has Issues. Narrowcasting live out of a man cave in New Jersey, my name is Buddy Scalera, and I'm taking over the airways from Adrian King for his now world-famous Adrian Has Issues podcast. But to talk me in, I have the lovely and talented Eileen. Take it away, Eileen. Welcome. Introducing Buddy Scalera. Yay! The crowd goes wild. Adrian, take us away, baby. Hey, guys, and I'm back. Oh, hey, it's nice to be on my own show. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. How's it going, buddy? Good. I think this will be your first uh, six-hour episode. No, it's fine. Oh, don't worry. I do a lot of editing. I whittle the heck out of it, so don't worry. It'll be much shorter in post. <laughs> It'll be like a 45-second a episode. That's it, and it's over. Oh, trust me. Like There are some episodes where I've gone for like hour and a half, and then next thing you know, like once you're done editing with everything, it ends up being much shorter. All right, you just cut out all the boring parts. So when you hear me talk, just hit the delete button and then just carry on. <laughs> no worries. Oh, trust me. I'm keeping it all in. This is all gold. <laughs> Maybe fool's gold, but gold nonetheless. Oh, what are you talking about, dude? I mean, like I said, I, I think accomplished is a good word to choose because, I mean, like I said, you got your hands in everything. Yeah, you were saying that, and I appreciate that. I don't, I don't feel like I have my hands in nearly enough. To be honest with you, I... Like you, we were just talking prior to the episode, there are always projects that are right there at the tip that sometimes they either make it for Comic-Con, I'm hoping I make some projects for Comic-Con, or or just don't. But I, I know what you mean. Like When you look at other people's stuff, it always looks like everybody's doing more than you are. But I, you know, I went, made sure I was doing my due diligence on you. You have, you have 60 episodes. I mean – I have zero episodes, so you know, you're know you killer on the podcast scene. It's not easy. The show as it currently exists has been active since January of 2015. And believe me, as I joke tightly in a lot, like I almost quit every week. And not for any reason other yep. than the fact that <laughs> it's tough <laughs> because it's easy to record a show. But then someone actually had to sit there and edit it. And then, you know, there's also the marketing aspect. So it's a lot of hard work. And for something that's not necessarily like a nine to five, like it is a full time job in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of work. And that's why you really it's, it's like any project. Either you do it and you do it consistently and it takes time to build an audience or you don't. And I think doing a podcast and consistently coming out with episodes and hitting number 60 is uh, a huge accomplishment on your part. And of Thank course, you. you know, while you're doing things, you know, other people are doing other things. And it's so easy to set yourself to a standard that, um, you know, you just want to keep doing more and better. But I think probably and you and I met at Comic-Con at uh, Jay's after party. And I think the important thing is, is truly to surround yourself with people who are doing things. And when I go to Comic-Con, I, I always notice two people. One, uh, I notice the guy or woman or whomever, you know, who is sitting at a table selling a comic that's so good that I, you know, I go up and I buy a copy and I'm just blown away by the 
beauty of this book. And, you know, I don't mean the mainstream comics that I see from Marvel or DC. I'm talking about indie projects. I buy a lot of indie books. And I'm blown away by the dedication and the craft work that goes into it. And then there's somebody who I look at the work that they've put out and I think, oh, my God, you I I almost feel badly for the person. I'm like, that's a terrible project. And you paid for a table and nobody's coming up to you. But the thing that I'm struck by is both of those people had to do the work. And I have grudging respect for the person who does put out something that I don't like It might sing for somebody else and so you know that's just a subjective thing i look at it and I go, oh i don't know that's not for me but maybe someone <laughs> else loves it right someone else loves it but I, you have to admire people that get things done and i think you have to surround yourself with those people that's why something like the AfterCon was so great and it really i think changed the trajectory of the show because when eileen and i started this and you know we're not gonna lie like it was basically like okay this is a different format than what i'm used to this is more interview based so, okay, what can we really do with this? And, you know, a lot of it started out just being, you know, calling out favors for people and seeing, hey, would you mind being on a show? We have a pretty good rapport. But then going to special edition, you know, that summer and meeting people and then people were just getting excited about what we were involved in. It was less of a, hey, would you mind coming on a show? But people are like, oh, you have a podcast? Absolutely. What's your information? And meeting you especially. And as someone who deals with the marketing aspect, we walked away being like, hey, wait a minute. We can really do something with this. Getting into the media required getting past gatekeepers. And that was literally the term that they taught us when we went to school for journalism. I went, I went to school and I studied journalism, graduated with a journalism degree, became a journalist, right? And, and, the gatekeepers were the people who were editors and publishers who decided what would reach people. And now the Internet has democratized that pathway, allowing people like you to say, you know what? I am going to start a show and I answer to nobody but myself. And if people like your show, great. If they don't, well, you know, maybe that's fine as well. You you may want to change your show to attract more people or you may just want to keep the integrity of the show what it is. And that's the beauty of it. The ability now for us to reach audiences, both, you know, with our published work and our, you know, soon to be future published work is just so liberating. And I love the idea of being able to go to Comic Con and just publishing my own comics and no one can say no to me. I, they, they might not sell like that person that I looked at the table going, ah, I wouldn't have bought a table for that. Maybe, you know, maybe you could have spent another year honing that. But you're there, and I think it's pretty amazing. Podcasting is an amazing revolution. YouTube is an amazing revolution, and it's just so cool to be able to reach an audience in ways that were never before possible. Right, and on this show, I've talked to a lot of people who are creators, whether it be of comic books or maybe even films, you know, even comedy acts. You know, I've had a couple of improvisational comedians on. But as we know, that's also just one facet of the business. And as we've gone on, we realized like, okay, people enjoy comics. Okay, so now you talk to people about how to actually go ahead and make one. But even when you make a comic, there's still the other aspect of, okay, now that you made it, how do you get it into people's hands or their right. devices if it's like, let's say, a digital comic? Yeah. So then comes the marketing thing. And I think... As I've come along and as I've been doing the show, that's the part that I think is still very tough for people because the business is not what it was five years ago, let alone a decade ago. Right. And, you know, with that, there's a lot of different ways to market that book. And obviously results may vary. But with that said, 
it's still an uphill climb to take what you have and convincing somebody that their product is worth the time. And that's why it was great meeting you because as someone who deals so heavily in marketing and getting just that sort of inside info as to, okay, even though there's no real set way to do it, there's still at least some very basic tips or at least strategies that they can come up with that would give them at least a better opportunity to get their work out there. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is a matter of helping an audience find your work. That is, my work is clearly not for everybody. And I'm not trying to be for everybody. I'm trying to put out projects that I think have integrity. And that's the kind of work that takes some effort to find an audience and for the audience to find it. And you do have to be able to create an internet presence, a personal brand footprint that allows you to be discovered, uh, that allows you to share what you have because you know, coming on your show will expand people who are not familiar with me. And when I tweet your episode out on Stitcher, I I hope that people will find you um, because you're putting out a show with integrity. And I think that it's it's often helping each other to find those audiences is really what um, epitomizes the indie spirit. And I think, you know, you mentioned Jay and uh, Jeff Ryder and all of those folks who we will be seeing at Comic-Con. It is definitely a kinship. We're, we're all people that are like, yeah, let's help each other out. Um, and it, to me, it, it's it's far, far different than what it was when I started in this business, you know, many, many moons ago before the Internet. They didn't always start that way. And matter of fact, um, going back to that same meeting, I had told this story to Stan Show when he was on a show about how originally we hadn't even heard of let's say something like the creator after con because a lot of it was just meeting people but i had reconnected which may seem redundant for people who have listened to the other episode but i had uh spoke with victor dandridge uh i had met him at the first special edition and had a really good rapport with him and we actually met up after uh, mylene and i matter of fact yeah. met up with him after a panel and it's funny we were pretty much just hanging out just talking about whatever eating gummy worms that i had in my bag because that was <laughs> that was basically like my <laughs> i was a snack supplier <laughs> yeah always bring junk food to cons and you will always have friends right <laughs> Absolutely. And who wants to stay online to get snacks and those things anyway? You're always there forever. So yeah, we were we were having a nice sugar high. <laughs> but it was great meeting Victor and everybody. And it was just an amazing for me, since that was this is all was all very new for me, the whole con thing. It was just amazing just to see what a what a community it really is and how you reconnect with so many people again and again. And it's a smaller in a way, it's a smaller community than you think it is. <laughs> you have no idea, right? Yeah, but, you know, but it doesn't feel that way. And from the outsider looking in, it's just kind of amazing to see what the dynamic is and and seeing everybody kind of coming together. The networking aspect is just amazing. I've met some amazing, wonderful people, uh, yourself included. And um, if I never went to another con again, I would still always remember just just all these great folks and just the talent that's out there. There's so much talent. And, uh, right. you know, it's trying to get that to the masses and it, it's hard. It's hard to kind of stand out when there's so many in it. Yeah. But what the takeaway from that conversation with Victor and why I always go back to that as sort of being a turning point for what we were doing, because before that, not that I didn't enjoy what I did, but we didn't really have like a set goal in mind. I mean, not going to lie. Like it was more just like, okay, there are people that we're friends with. I just like having conversations about the things that we enjoy. 
And Victor had brought it up. It's like, hey, you know, I know some people who have this thing called Creator AfterCon, and you should definitely go and check it out. I thought to myself, I'm like, well, why would I go to that? You know, I'm no creator. I'm no one, you know, necessarily important. But he said, it's like, you know what? You have a podcast, right? He's like, yes. And you talk about comics, right? He was like, yes. Like, so you're as every bit as important to the industry as the people who make them. I sat there and I'm like, well, of course, first I thought he was out of his mind. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? You're right. You know, and like I said, with the people that I've had on and realizing that you're right, it is like this big relationship because it all sort of works together. Like I said, you create the product, but now you need people to go out and actually, you know, get that product out to the people. And what's great about what you do is you do a little bit of both. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was very fortunate in my career and always learned that the relationships are what matters. And I have a website called comicbookschool.com. And on comicbookschool.com, I wrote a blog post called You're a Jerk and We All Know It. <laughs> and it was uh, an anecdote about how an artist that I was working with had promised to do work and then just stopped doing work and then was working on samples and, and kind of jerked me around for a while. And then a year later, a friend of mine was saying he found this artist and mentioned the name of the artist. And I was like, wow, that was the guy. Remember I was telling you? He was like, oh, yeah. And in that conversation, that person lost that. I wasn't trying to help that person lose work, but it just happened to me that a pro friend of mine was working on a project. And that person lost work and never knew that that work was lost because of previous times that he had not conducted himself in a way that was really professional. And my friend not wanting to, um, right. you know, start work with somebody who would bail out halfway through because he would get bored or wanted to work on samples for somebody else, you know, just shuffled along and found the next artist and published a project. So, you know, the way you conduct yourself, um, it, it stays with people for a very long time. And, 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 for sure, you do have to make sure that you treat everybody with respect. There's no one beneath your respect. And I think that one of the things that's great about comics is everybody that's in comics is here because they want to be. Right. And um, they have to try really hard to be there. And I think most working pros appreciate what they have because they do work so hard for it and have to continue working hard because the challenges never really end. Um, when you uh, work as a freelancer. Yeah. And as we've come to realize in the last few years is that the comic book industry is full of so many types. And while it's a thriving community, it's a small community. And the one thing I know about small communities, whether it be fans of a band or even, let's say, comic books, is that since there's such a small group of people, word travels fast. Yeah. So you can't necessarily mess around because those people will then be like, well, hey, I worked on this comic with this person. And it's like, oh, I heard they're very inconsistent or, you know, they're very disrespectful or so other. And then that travels because then they're going to be like, well, I don't want to work for them. And, you know, and that's something that I've realized, whether it be podcasting or comics, is that you can have an amazing product. You can have an amazing show, an amazing comic. But if you don't have the professionalism to back it up, no one's going to really deal with you and it can hurt you. <laughs> it definitely will hurt you. You know, most of the work that I've gotten was gotten through networking. And it's interesting. Um you know, there's a lot behind this story, but, you know, back in the day when I was working with my friends and we self-published comics under After Hours Press, our logo 
was a martini glass because every deal that we did was over drinks at a pub. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I mean, we were just acknowledging that that was, we were part of that culture and that was the culture. And, you know, later on, you know, after hours press uh, is still in existence in some way, but you know um, my friend that runs it now, he, he changed that logo. You know, we we're older, we're dads. We don't go out for drinks much anymore, but you know, nurturing those relationships uh, will over time, um, every everybody wants to help their friends, right? And right. and you'll always help your friends Kickstarter or cross promote something. And the reason I reached out to you is because I just published a new book, and I reached out to you and other friends and said, "Hey guys, can you tell people about this?" And it's that generosity of people using their own personal and professional networks to help a friend out is really meaningful. And that's where you know I have great appreciation for folks like you who like. You have a network and a channel, and you take the time to set something up with me. And I said, "Can I, uh, you know, can can Eileen stay?" And she's like, "Sure, you know, like Eileen, you got <laughs> stuff to do, but you're sticking around because you're nice." I mean, that's that's pretty cool, man. I mean, um, that's the kind of thing that we we should all be grateful for that we have people who are willing to help us out when we need something. It's a symbiotic relationship, and it goes hand in hand. And that's the thing: it's symbiotic as opposed to being parasitic. <laughs> you know? Wow! Look at you, Eileen. You got a dictionary there? What the hell? Are you talking <laughs> you know? About? What is he even talking about? He's a walking encyclopedia. I love yeah. it. <laughs> the difference is helping us someone who a is appreciative and really is worth the time and the effort. Because if I've learned anything about promotion, is yes, I mean you can share and name drop all you want, but yet. If you aren't necessarily behind what the product is, you know, it's sort of empty, you know, and it's like, I want to get behind the things that I personally feel that people can really enjoy or really learn something from. And that's something that, again, like, you know, talking to you and some of the others is that I learned about what Eileen and I do is that basically building a community and pretty much a positive community, because like I said, not every community is necessarily any up, but I appreciate people who have supported me in this little podcast that's you know done on like a beat up thinkpad you know <laughs> we're not you know this isn't done out of a, a recording studio like we're in a bedroom right now in the middle of what was what, this long island long island <laughs> yeah this isn't exactly the podcast capital of the world so anyone who's come out of their way to talk with us and i'm very appreciative of everybody's time to sat down for an hour or two however long just to talk about the things that they're into because I don't take that lightly. Like, that's impressive. There's so many things that people could be doing right now, whether it's stuff around the house or laundry or working on their comics or what have you. And people are like, you know what? I'm going to take an hour and I'm going to talk about the stuff that I enjoy, even if it's not even about their own work. You know, we've had people on to talk about like what? Fast and the Furious and Power Rangers. Power Rangers. <laughs> and, you know, it's just stuff that just you're, you're, you enjoy because you enjoy the conversation. Well, yeah. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about um, music, comics, Eileen? What's what's our topic for tonight? <laughs> well, <laughs> Eileen's like, let's talk about me. I'll let you take it for here. <laughs> okay. Well, what I really wanted to talk to you about is marketing. Marketing? Okay. I can do that. Like I said before, everybody knows how to read a comic. Everybody knows at this point some of the steps it takes to make one. But then what's the next step? Not even just necessarily marketing, but also just exactly how to really get the most out of your product. Like, matter of fact, like I said, last episode, I spoke with Stan Cho about the ways that people can make a comic fairly inexpensively, as opposed to, let's say, making a comic, you know, trying to make a finished product, then pitch it. Basically, do something a little smaller, a little less expensive that will 
give you more of an idea as to what's really involved as opposed to trying to basically go out of the gate and make everything from scratch. You know, kind of like that idea of starting small. I think it's important, you know, you know this, but by day I work in marketing and, and, and primarily digital and social media marketing. Right. And my daughter, who is 15, she said she was reading a school book and she said, what, Daddy, what's the definition of marketing? And I said, well, read what's in the book. And she read what was in the book. And she read, you know, what I, I would say is a fairly accurate statement, but you can distill marketing down to a slightly different concept. That is marketing – is behavior change. So you're not doing A, and I want you to try A. That's change in behavior. You're already doing A, and I want you to do more of A, right? If maybe right, buying right. my comic book, you didn't buy my comic book, I want you to buy my comic book. You're buying my comic book, I want you to buy the next issue of my comic book. You really like my comic book, I want you to tell your friends about it. Behavior change is really the essence of marketing. And what you want to do is make sure that you're making it easy for people to change behavior. And you need to be clear in your strategy about what you want from people. And people often mistake customers from buyers. You know, a buyer is a person who buys one of what you have. A customer is somebody who buys two or more. Right. And what we want to do is get customers who will come back year after year and buy more of what you are selling. And that requires you to create a personal brand. And, you know, my personal brand represents certain things to certain people. And I hope that this year at Comic-Con, people come back to my table and are customers. They're happy to see me and they want to buy more. And, you know, there's the relationship, but also there, this is a commercial business. Comics cost money to make and cost money to go to Comic-Con. So there's a commercial aspect to it, right? right? We're fans, but, you know, at a certain point, I do still, you know, have to make enough money both to cover my time and my table and, you know, my travel and my printing, all of those things. So marketing often has goals of getting people to change behavior. Now, advertising is about doing similar things, selling a product, but they're all about delivering a message. They are about running an ad or a banner ad or a television commercial at you so you see something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to move a product. If you think about Super Bowl ads, we talk about how entertaining they are, and sometimes you can be like, that was the most entertaining or funniest commercial of the Super Bowl, but did it change people's behavior? Did it move more product, which is why – Quite frankly, year after year, you don't see a lot of repeat customers except for, you know, the Budweiser's and the Coke and Pepsi's of the world, right? Because they realize that that ad didn't do very well and the one YouTube video that they have did. So, you know, you have to be focused on what your strategy is. If your strategy is to sell one issue of one comic, then you've made a buyer. But if you're building a relationship with somebody who will put out product or who will buy product that you put out, now you've built the customer. And I know I'm talking on, but I do I do want to make one last point because I think it's important. You might read a new book or a new comic from a writer that you're not familiar with. If that person does a good job, you will give them a second chance when the next product comes out. But if you feel like that person was not a good writer and did not give you value for your money, the next time that person won't be a customer. No one's going to buy the second issue of a comic book or a novel if the first one was bad in the hopes that maybe in between you got better, right? 
So you have a contract with your readers. I think that Mark Wade is one of the best writers in the business because he has a contract, and I will buy anything that Mark Wade has his name on because he's never broken the contract with me. He gives it his all every time, and every time I pick up a Mark Wade comic book, I am entertained for, on a scale of I thought it was great to I thought it was freaking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I was not a Daredevil fan before I read his run on that from a couple of years back because a lot of the Daredevil I read kind of resembled a lot of what I think people have a misconception about the character is, you know, he's essentially like the blind Batman. And, you right. know, the movie that had come out back in 2003 sort of reflected that. Or is it 2004? It doesn't matter. But the point is that <laughs> it was cool seeing somebody write him differently where he was less of the tortured soul and i mean yes he was conflicted but it was more of an adventure comic you know it was more about the thrill of you know heroics and just it, yes it was emotionally uh satisfying and there was a lot of really good beats to it but what was really great about it is seeing him as a hero who has problems but yet generally wants to do good and written in a way that kind of resembled more of the classic comics that i used to read as a kid and just more of, like I said, the fun and adventure as opposed to it always just being like, I'm sitting on this rooftop while it's raining and I'm crying, you know, <laughs> and no disrespect to other writers. But yet Mark Wade, you know, he wrote it differently. And that's true. Like a good writer can also change how you feel about a certain character. The contract that Mark Wade has, he's marketed his personal brand effectively so that you would give a chance to a book like Daredevil that you might not have otherwise read. And when he transitioned over to Black Widow, I was like, yeah, just put it on my pull list, you know, with with the comic store. And when he transitions to other things and he's doing something for Boom like Eredemo, I'm like, yeah, put that on my pull list. And part of marketing yourself is creating a consistent brand for yourself so that people can point to you and go, okay, that's what that person does. And, you know, there are a lot of writers and artists who are like that and a lot of musicians. I know you talk about music a lot on the show. And those are those are really important things that you need to consider. Who do you want people to perceive you as? Like, what's your personal brand and how can you act consistently with that? Terry Moore does that. You know, Terry Moore puts out very long stories in black and white. Uh, same thing with David Lapham with Stray Bullets. You know what their brand is. And I I like their brand, so I buy their stuff. And I think that that's a hugely important thing in marketing. You need to know what you want to be so that people know what they're going to buy the next thing, next time you put something out. It's probably the hardest thing I think to do is trying to figure out who you want to be. Because if you don't have a clear idea, even yourself, it's kind of hard to project that out. You know you want to do something, you, you have an idea, but that's probably the hardest part of marketing. I mean, even for ourselves is to figure out, okay, who are we and how do we project that to everybody? else it's incredibly difficult and you can see that with major national brands or those that come and go you can walk down a, a strip mall in you know in the suburbs see a mcdonald's or see a store that you know you you, you like and you can say well that's what that is Clear marketing, clear branding, and consistency will help you get to that point where people know what you represent. But then there's a lot of brands that it's so amorphous you couldn't you couldn't tell me what that brand represents. So you know I'm conscious of my personal brand online, both in my marketing life and in my comic book life, and I try to act consistently according to that. 
but it is very difficult. I mean, I agree with you. I think, you know, just knowing what that is and working toward it, uh, but also pivoting when, when the opportunity is there. You know, you, you, um, we were just talking about this past weekend. You know, Eddie Murphy was the filthiest comic in America. <laughs> yeah. He put out those two, and now he's like, now he stars in rated G movies and things like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like Ice Cube was like an NWA and he was doing, was, are we there yet? Oh, you know? God. Yeah. <laughs> You know, a movie where he's like fighting with the CGI deer as kids laugh at him. <laughs> and he was the yeah. most thug person before that. <laughs> and, and, you know, you think about that, like you can recognize that I think some of the most modern branding today becomes uh, laser focused. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. So um, you won't leave the house to go see the new Paramount film and you, you won't leave the house to go buy the new novel from Doubleday, but you will go out of the house to go see the new Pixar movie, and you will go out of the house to go maybe buy the new Stephen King novel. And what you have to do is recognize that those those brands worked very hard to get there, you know. And it is hard to break through the noise because Universal and Paramount they make all kinds of movies. You couldn't, you know, you you can't just leave the house to buy a book from Bantam Doubleday. I mean, if that's even an imprint anymore, but you will buy a branded author. Uh, and Stephen King is a great example. People will go and buy a Stephen King novel, right? Because he's branded himself as such. Or um, who, the new Harry Potter book, right? Great marketing and branding where people line up and get into costumes and they embrace their fan base and their fan base embraces them. That's a well-marketed product. Yeah, absolutely. And that's funny that you mentioned Paramount because, you know, back in, I would say, like, the 80s, I remember they had, like, a whole stream of hits. And it's funny that you mentioned Eddie Murphy because, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of his big movies from the 80s, I believe they were Paramount films. You're like, who would know that? Adrian, who? I don't know. It's just, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, give him, I, I give him of... that, like, look, like, how, how did you know that? Like, <laughs> You know what, though? I'll do like I do with anything when it comes to movies. I'll just blame my father for it. Yeah. Like, how did he know that? He's a black Matt Penfield. That's all I say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Daddy Murphy was a trusted name. And while he was a filthy comedian, you know, he had this huge body of work. And if I'm not mistaken, he had to string ahead with the studio. So, of course, you know, with any company, when you have somebody who is successful and, you know, normally it at least in terms of movie studios, when they say successful, they mostly mean they're making money for them. Mm -hmm. yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, matter of fact, I spent the last, what, several days watching the Beverly Hills oh, Cop Beverly movies. Oh, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, my God. Because yes. I'm sorry. I wanted to be Axel Foley as a kid. And oh, they were me such back. great movies, weren't they? And it's funny. And I thought about the beginning of both of those movies where it's like, oh, Paramount Pictures presents um, an association with Eddie Murphy Productions. Going into IMDb and Wikipedia, he was in his early, he was one of the youngest cast members on Saturday Night Live. And by the time the Beverly Hills Cop movie came out in 84, he was only like 22, 23. Wow. So you think about having somebody who is, you know, they really get behind. And yeah, Paramount now, it's like, okay, they were doing a lot of the Marvel movies prior to, I think, Disney and, you know, Marvel Studios sort of doing their own thing. But yeah, you're right. Pixar, you know, even though, like, their movies may not necessarily always be, like, these big runaway success, they're making money. And, you know, Inside Out is not Toy Story, but yet that movie did gangbusters, you know, at the mm -hmm. box office and, you know, people love it because you're right, because Pixar is a trusted brand. People know that and they know they're going to get something. And Pixar's talked about if they will ever do a live action movie. I mean, they certainly could, right? They could certainly create a film that is using live action. Why would they? They could go and do that at a different studio. Any of those creators could. 
and they stay true to their brand. I remember there was a God back in the, I think eighties, Disney did an R rated movie. And then I don't think they ever did it again. Cause I think Disney recognized that their value proposition in the eyes of families was I can trust it. If it has a Disney logo, I can trust it. If it has a Pixar logo, Right. You know, at one time, you know, the comics were for kids, you know, and you know, now we know that comics grew up with us and there are certain comics for kids. And then there are certain comics like the Vertigo logo indicates it shouldn't be for kids. And I remember walking into my local library and you know, I'm a library rat. I think the most valuable mm-hmm. card I have in my entire wallet is my library card. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I'm a big library buff. Yeah. And I think I know where you're going with this, where you find the comics, they put everything Anything remotely cartoon animated is put in the kids section. Yeah. And they're not looking at, hello, did you see the content in this thing? There's no way you should put this in the child's department. You know, I'm very fortunate that I have a library that's a little bit more proactive and they realize, okay, there's the kids and then there's the teenagers. And maybe let's move it up to the older kids. But it's it's surprising how many times you find you know, there's still, everybody still has this mentality of cartoons and animation or comics. That's all for kids. And every time they see anything that's remotely adult, they get shocked. And it's like, no, it's a medium, just like film, just like radio, just like anything else. It's just a medium. It doesn't mean that it's exclusive to one group. You can do anything. Anybody can draw anything and including things that aren't appropriate. (laughs) Well, and that's the important thing. I think that, you know, comics, you know, we're sort of stuck in this weird adolescent quagmire that we can't get out of. And, and and I think that's problematic because when you think about it, when I have to go stand and shuffle around in the YA section at the library because I'm interested in what they have there and I'm looking at a Vertigo book and I'm thinking, you know, maybe preachers shouldn't be racked here. You know, <laughs> but that's true. You know, like when you think, what, like, that's, that's not, not a religious right? book. I don't want to be shuffling around the YA section. You know, I'm a grown man, and I'm I feel <laughs> weird. And true. Um, yeah, we need younger readers for sure. We need to nurture the next generation. Absolutely agree. There's no doubt that we need comics for all ages. However, we do need to recognize who our current demographic is and who who is buying our books. And it doesn't seem like it is the demographic that it was 25 years ago. It's not just boys. Very true. Yeah. Right? So it's men and women as well. I mean, you know, you probably don't want to identify with a kid. I mean, it's nice that you can embrace that part of yourself. But, like, at the end of the day, you know, kids not worried about the things that we as adults are worried about. And we don't want to be identified as people who have immature taste in uh, literature, like you were saying, I mean, you know, you, you can tell a story about anything. I mean, I told, I don't know if you guys ever read it, but I wrote a comic book series a couple of years ago and it's called Seven Days to Fame. And it's a, it's a comic book about a reality TV show where people go on live television to commit suicide because they so desperately want to be famous. They're willing to kill themselves on television. Now. Oh, wow. Yeah. That should not be racked oh in the God. YA section. <laughs> yeah. Um, that goes without saying. <laughs> now, yeah. I mean, Granted, I could sit there and be the jerk and argue while well, some kids are just more mature and they can handle that. But no, I know what you mean. Like the average kid probably would not be able to read that and um, not have their childhoods ruined. <laughs> but wait, but let's look at the flip side of that. So as an adult, let's say you, you guys weren't hip to comics, right? You were just right. regular citizens and you walked into a bookstore and you veered over to 
current events and contemporary literature and you see seven days to fame and you go, Hey, that's actually kind of interesting. You pick it up and start flipping through it. You're not likely to be of that mindset and then also shuffle over and say, Hey, let's see what they have in YA because that's not who you are. You, you'll go over the area that interests you most history or, you know, war or battles and nonfiction. I read a lot of, obviously I read a lot of marketing and business books. I don't randomly shuffle over to YA in case there's something of interest to me because be, because sparkly vampires. You know, I, just, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, like you know what you're into. There's a flip side too. There are some great YA books like um, I think Flutter. Oh, Fl- oh, Flutter was fantastic. Was, that was an amazing book. But if it's in the YA and you wouldn't think to find it there, but you'll find some actually really well written young adult books in that genre, and they kind of cross the the age barrier really, because as much as they're maybe targeting that, um, even as you know, as an adult, we can enjoy that and still get something out of it. It might not be a bad idea to take a walk through there every once in a while, I think, because there's a lot that just kind of don't, or even they don't even really have an age group, and it's hard to know where, you know, every store is different where they decide to stick things. Yeah, and it's tough, though, especially since a lot of genres, unfortunately, when you even hear the name of the genre, you... And I do this too, and I know it's bad sometimes, but you immediately already start making assumptions about the reader base. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, I agree there's probably some truly wonderfully written books there that I would thoroughly enjoy. And yet, as, you know, as a dad, I'm fine if my teen daughters read those. That's cool. That's great. I'm going to read the stuff that I perceive being, you know, targeted to me. And I'll, you know, I, like I said, I, you know, I'm going to go on over to the nonfiction business section and, you know, I don't read quite as much fiction as I used to. I read a lot of work related things. So I, I would not discover those things. And I would assume that my daughters would be just as disinterested with the next marketing book as I might be with the next. Yeah. Right. You know, and not for nothing. I can't blame it because you know what? I probably, I was that person for a very long time and I use this story a lot. I mean, it's not necessarily comic book related, but I think about my sister was very much like in terms of video games, she was very much into RPGs, you know, like a Final Fantasy or something like that, where it was less about fighting and about action than it really was developing your characters. And I would sit here and watch her play these games. She's reading maps and she's spending hours basically buying armor, accessorizing them, setting up parties. And I'm saying, I used to say to myself, this is boring. This is stupid. <laughs> I'm like, where's all the fighting? Where's all the action? And and then, of course, when she would fight, she'd fight the same monsters over and over again. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you fighting the same monsters over and over again? Why don't you go fight the new boss? And I just did not get how the game worked. As I got older and, you know, obviously she went off to school and, you know, she had her friends, so she was hanging out more. I'm sitting here. Now I'm looking at the games I used to play. And now I'm looking at Final Fantasy going. It all makes sense to me. And now I realize why she was doing what she was doing, because I didn't know that there was a reason why she was into the things that she was into. And I'm just thinking, well, you know, these are for nerds. <laughs> <laughs> this was very early on. And then it's like I became that nerd, the one that's just there and, you know, is setting up my armor and my battle system. And I didn't realize what it was doing was I was broadening my horizons because i'm no longer the person who's just playing video games watching things explode i'm now thinking about the things that i'm doing and actually strategizing strategy exactly strategizing learning steps and at the risk of sounding like a college professor thinking critically (laughs) you know what i think adrian i think now you should hit the record button we should get started (laughs) this is a good time for us to 
So, oh shoot, I'm sorry. I... We should like say like, hey, I'm Buddy Scalera, and I do comic books, and I'm uh, I'm a nude model, and that's <laughs> mostly how I scratch out a living. Picks or it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you never know. People get their start in the weirdest of ways. You know? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny you should talk about modeling. I mean, shoot, that's actually the basis of your new book. Oh. What a good, look at that. Segwayed perfectly. Um, yeah. Right? Oh, come on. There's, look, I mean, episodes, like, this is what? We're in the 60s now, you know? This is, you people know? just People just have to run to keep up with you. That's that's all it really is. You know what, though? But there's a reason why, like, the network I'm on is called the Tangent Bound Network, because it just makes sense, because, the, you know what? If you can keep up, you're going to have a good time. If not, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're going to entertain somebody during a long commute where they're stuck in traffic, and they're like, I don't even know where this is going, but I don't know. Hey, like not for nothing, though, a guy who um, I will call OC, uh, he has this, um, he's the co-host of this great show called The Dave Podcast. He had tweeted out saying that I kept him from going berserk at a DMV. So, hey, you know what? Yeah. I almost want to use that as a pull quote. That, that's, like, a, that's a public service announcement right there. That really is. <laughs> and it's just like, Adrian has issues. We won't make you go berserk at a DMV. <laughs> that's, a, that's a marketing and that's a positioning statement. There you there go. There you go. Absolutely. I mean, I listen to his show sometimes. I would drive, you know, I go to school uh, about an hour away. So during that long, straight, boring commute, that's when I'll put on a show. And then it sucks because then I'll get there, you know, because I'm speeding. I'll get there before <laughs> the end of the show. And then it's like, damn, now I got to wait to find out how, it, you know, the conversation finished. But yeah, I mean, it, it's to each his own. I mean, it, <laughs> it works. <laughs> it works. It works. Hey, and that's actually where I do my podcast on about RPGs. Hey, you know, podcasts during level grinding, not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. But I was looking over the book and I'm thinking to myself, this kind of reminded me a lot of the books that my dad used to get for me as a kid. At a time, you know, I fancy myself. I'm like, well, I want to get into comics. And I used to make like these little, as my sister used to call them when we were kids, roly-poly people. Because <laughs> they were basically like misshapen ovals and their arms were coming out of their necks. And it was very crudely drawn, but people loved them. But that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, at some point, my dad realizes like, hey, he's wanting to make comics. So I'm going to start buying him books on how to draw comics. But what was kind of funny about those books were, and you know, this was what, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, a lot of the books on how to draw comics were like, okay, you're learning how to draw. So here's how you draw comics. And yet you're looking at all the sketches and line work. I'm like, look, I am what, seven, eight years old. I can't draw like Jack Kirby at you know, six, seven <laughs> years old. And all the drawings were like really intricate. And they're like, oh, make sure you get your ink pens. But I guess he was buying books for, for older people. And mm -hmm. it freaked me out because I'm like, I have no real reference guide. So, and flipping through the comic artist's essential photo reference, it was cool because it's not these already, you know, almost intimidating images of people who are already sketching, it's modeling. Yeah. Because it's something that I've learned in a lot of comics that unless you're really good, like an abstract artist, let's be honest, for a lot of people who enjoy comics and enjoy the artwork in comics, if the drawing is like off kilter and, you know, there's names I could throw out, but maybe I shouldn't. But sometimes I've read comics and thought to myself, these people aren't they're misshapen. Like, they don't look like real people. The proportions are really The proportions, yeah, exactly. What's cool is also, how do you teach somebody to draw proportions? And it was cool. Like, you basically have a layout of models and various poses, whether it be flying or swimming or holding weapons or even something as simple as drinking a bottle of water. And I'm thinking to myself, 
how come no one really does this more is to just basically make a book about how normal people will perform these actions. And I think that's really cool that you decided to do that with your latest book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, you know, it started off years and years ago. I, I, I started off making CD-ROMs. And it, the genesis of that was that I pitched that to a variety of publishers and everybody rejected me. Nobody thought that people wanted photo reference for comic artists. And I believed in it and I self-published it. And eventually uh, I put out three CD-ROMs and learned how to code them and distribute them through Diamond. And uh, I mentioned After Hours Press and that was you know, how we got started with these and then a publisher approached me and asked if I wanted to do it as a book. And then I did it as a book. This is uh, book number six, um, actually, uh, in a series. Uh, and this is actually a remastering of my first photo reference book, which at the time, you know, the market was different. They had a higher price point and it was twenty four ninety five. And I insisted that, you know, at a con, you know, $20 is a magical number, right? You can hand somebody a 20 and not look back. But, you yeah. know, 25 and now I got to get a five and they give you a change or you got to, you know. <laughs> so we cut out the CD-ROM and created a photo reference book. And really the the one thing I wanted to take out was something that you noted, which were some of the how-tos because I think it is intimidating. And, you know, you as an artist, you don't you're if you're trying to tell a story about people, you want to draw life. You don't want to draw life imitating someone else's cartooning, imitating life. Right. Right. So, you, you know, even if your anatomy is wrong, as long as it's consistently wrong, that becomes your art style. And that's cool. And what I wanted to do was contribute to the comic book business in a way that I could because I was a photographer and I was fortunate enough to find people who wanted those books and and they resonate and people like you who you know maybe i'm reaching a younger version of you with this book and maybe that young kid is gonna sit at home and practice 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 until he gets you know holding a water bottle right and draws it perfectly because you know you can draw the battle scenes you want but you also need other scenes in between the battle scenes so the book is really to help people utilize the poses that they're they're going to encounter when they draw comics and that that's the the, the not so secret secret of, of the book is i did look at comics like stuff from john ramita jr and jerry ordway and just recreated it as a photo you know <laughs> so it's no surprise that you know uh I, at least I know Jerry Ordway uses my books because he he does use my books. <laughs> yeah, he he reached out to me. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll use all your I use your books, and it was it was great because I was like, oh, actually, I used your art to <laughs> to help create. My books. <laughs> so awesome. we come full circle. Yeah, it was like kind of like, oh, what a coincidence. Do I tell him? <laughs> you know, it was one of those weird moments. But yeah, <laughs> so I built I built comicbookschool.com up around that, and then I do the panels at New York Comic Con where you where well, we met, I think, after one of the panel sets, but then you came later. But now I do educational stuff. I'll be doing educational stuff at Comic-Con. Um, I've been doing it every year. Uh, I've been doing panels and creator connections ever since I was at Wizard back in the Wizard days. And I just – I go at education uh, not as a person that feels like they know things, but closer to what you do, which is I prompt – people who know about a topic and I let them talk and that that's obviously what you do you know like you you prompt people and you get them talking and that that journalistic approach I think is what uh, makes what I do uh, deeply personal like I'm interested in creators I'm like hey tell me about how you broke in tell me about how you did this tell me about your ideas about that uh, you know 
I, I create comics as well as I'm a writer, but I'm really interested in how other creators do it. One of the series that's really popular on my website is photos of people's desks, their workstations, right? <laughs> like everybody wants to Oh know my it. God, I'm so glad you don't use mine. Because <laughs> I heard her laugh. She's like, no, you don't want a photo of this. No, you don't. No, I can't say anything either because mine is just as bad. <laughs> but, but tell me that you're not fascinated. Like, I have a picture of Sean Chen's art table. I have a picture of Chuck Dixon's keyboard and monitor. And, like, people – it's one of the most popular sections on my website because people want to see and learn about how other people work. And, and, and I think that that's – I reference being a journalist. I go at comic book school and education as a journalist reporting on an industry – that fascinates me. I think that's important. And I think that more people should go at that instead of trying to be experts. Let the experts be there. Like, I'm not going to tell Jerry Ordway or Sean Chen how to do their stuff, but I'll, I'll give them a platform to talk to people. And that's what we'll do at Comic-Con uh, yeah. months, right? I put them on the stage and I go, you know, here's a marker, here's a pad. Talk with your hands. You observe, you see how people are. And what better way to learn than to learn by seeing how people operate? And what was cool about the stuff that you do and also what I learned for podcasting is that you learn a lot just, just from listening to people and just getting into their heads and getting to their motivations. And you realize that there are people just like us. They have their quirks, you know, they have the things that they're good at. And there's things that, you know, they, you discover that they're not as good at that they're learning about. I'm always just so fascinated because I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And then sometimes I almost forget to respond because then they're just going on this great story. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. You can keep going. Like, this is just stuff that I feel that more people need to know. And as somebody who spent at least two years prior to that just talking about comics, I learned that I was kind of doing myself a disservice because I wasn't really getting into it other than the fact that okay right was it good yes moving on all right so what else did you read and you know don't get me wrong <laughs> it was fun but i didn't really learn much because you're saying to yourself yeah accident number five wasn't great but maybe there's a reason it wasn't so great maybe that was a rough month or maybe you know something was going on and there was like editorial mandates and like you know what you realize is that a comic good or bad Learning the stories behind, you know, the people who make them also changes how you think about them. And if you don't, you know, mind my language is that everybody's got something they're doing, but people also need a reason to sort of give a shit. Reading his stuff and getting an idea and then following on Twitter. And it's like, okay, now I'm reading his tweets. I'm sort of seeing the person he is. And now I can then be more informed about the books I'm reading. Cause it's like, okay, I know more about the person. I know more about their motivations and start realizing that. Yes, you may be writing, let's say, a popular character, but they also put their own little bit of individual spin or, you know, some of their own personality into their books. And I think that's very important. And not from a way of I need to necessarily know, like, the habits of everybody who creates a comic, but at least just knowing a little bit as to what really went into the comic that they just read. Yeah, and that's and, and what you bring up is, is important, you know, knowing uh, what goes in behind the scenes gives you a greater appreciation for the final product. Look, I... One of the things I want to talk about, because I think, you know, I, I looked at some of your earlier shows and, and I thought one of the big muses for me as a writer, so I write comics and you know that, is music. And sometimes when I'm stuck on a scene, I have to find a song and, 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 and it's a bit of OCD on my part where I will have to play out the scene and all of the dialogue to that song and i'll be driving home so eileen you're like driving for an hour i'll play like one song for an hour oh, wow. and just hit repeat or like 
um, you know, there's a little function on my on my CD player where you can literally fast forward and rewind on a CD, mm-hmm. and I'll and I'll bring a CD in the car and do that because that song or that chord or that moment in the mm-hmm. song is what brings me into the story. And when I get back home, I will take that song and crank it entirely too loud for the house to write that scene to get myself back there. And so much has been written in loud music for me. You know, I think all of them, just about everything that I've ever written is written that way. I have to find a song that speaks to that scene. And I don't know if if other writers do that. I'd be curious. I have that also. I mean, I don't write comics or anything like that. I write poetry. And for me, I know there's certain songs or certain genres or certain albums that if it has a good beat to it, you know, a good hook to it. I find that that starts kind of helping me and inspiring me to kind of, okay, this is the cadence I want to use, or this is the, you know, the beat I want to go to, or how many syllables, or how many lines, or what's the attitude behind what I want to say. I totally agree with you on that. The the music is, can definitely change how you feel. I can't write to my kids' cartoon shows and stuff. I never were there watching TV because I just wouldn't do it for (laughs) me. (laughs) I don't know, like, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, and I remember, like, when I used to write, I actually would make soundtracks to the things I was writing, and a lot of it was less about framing a scene, but more about what would my characters listen to? Like, if I thought about what, let's say, like, my main character, okay, if you were to, like, pop in, I don't know, like, go into his iTunes, what would be the music he listened to? Like, what would be, like, his motivational? And, yeah, music is a very big part of my life. And, thankfully, it's also a very big part of Eileen's. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the many reasons. Well, hell, music is what brought us together. Pretty much. Well, that and, of course, not, you know, having a life outside of Twitter. But <laughs> I had a life. It wasn't much, but. You know. I know. Well, it was more speaking to me. But, <laughs> but, yeah, like, music is a very big uh, component to creating and I love that when I decided to sort of bridge that gap between comic books or creating to music and realizing that a lot of things that I used to think were weird it's like no people do that too and I love that as I'm going on people are very open about what they listen to and matter of fact uh, just recently I started uh, this little feature called panels and playlists like a blog on the website where you know the idea is to get an idea as to what music creators listen to while they're creating or the things that inspire them so it's funny when you said that i'm like yep perfect you're you're already Mm -hmm. halfway there yeah so i don't listen to as much um pop music or rap or definitely not jazz but um i like heavy metal i like the blues i like um just really loud hard driving metallica iron maiden a lot of kiss and acdc the kind of music where i'm finding something in there and that's you know to me will get me that scene that i need especially if you write a lot of action books you know as 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 i'm you know i write superheroes and things like that so finding that moment is for me the important thing and i like eileen said you know like sometimes you need a beat and occasionally, you know, kick back to some some older uh, hip hop or rap, but, you know, not yes. as much of the newer stuff. And, yes. you know, you find that, right? You find I like the musicianship of, of a lot of the older stuff. So um, some of that Absolutely. as well. And, and here's the weird thing. I don't know about you guys. I've listened to more Prince this year than I have in, since, like, I was at the roller rink in the <laughs> 80s. <laughs> like, I totally rediscovered his music. And I feel like, oh, my God, first of all. 
talk about like a great rock album purple rain i mean it's it's given mm-hmm. to, it's it's categorized under dance but that's a really good rock album and talk about like blazing guitar solos at the end of some of those songs right like let's go crazy he's and, brilliant like those are those those are metal riffs mm-hmm. i mean those are great songs yeah and people don't realize that like, he was an amazing songwriter, amazing guitarist. He just had this amazing eye for talent and seeing that in others as well. And he had a way of conveying emotion in a way that was very different from everyone else. And he did this mix of genres that was really ahead of his time. Yeah. It's a sad loss, you know, for the music world. But his music has been very influential, I know, for even for myself growing up and you know, if I had to do my, my life's soundtrack, you know, when doves cry, that's not the top of the list. You know, that's my jam. You know, there's those certain beats, those certain hooks. And, you know, and as a poet, that's something that speaks to me deeply in my writing. I have a blog on Tumblr and on Blogger Verse in the Heart. And a lot of those things, besides just, you know, writing at three in the morning, depressed or whatever going on in my life, there's been other times where I just maybe found this really good beat, this really good hook, old school hip hop or neo soul, whatever it is. And I'm not writing in rhyme or in rhythm. I'm writing as far as just the beat, the tone. It's, it's a certain, you know, like I said, like a cadence to it where it may not seem like the your usual traditional stanzas but if you read it out loud and you kind of realize there's a mathematical maybe you know count to it music does that music is math you know and i'm not a math person at all i mean i'm taking the three-year two-year degree right now because i suck at math but i can recognize that that beat and the kind of that count and that really does you know influence uh, the writing and it could even change like maybe okay if this doesn't really feel right i need to kind of change that beat or maybe find a better word let me find a better way of saying this you know and and that's something i know with my writing compared to maybe writing a story i can't write a story as well the poetry makes you hyper focus because you really do have to think not just of the words and it's it's painting pictures with words and really trying to find that and let it kind of flow you know, and music is amazing for that. And Prince was amazing at telling a story with amazing music behind it. And it's almost hard to to figure out if you want to listen to the lyrics or you want to listen to the music because they both <laughs> told a story. And even like, you know, the whole elevator or whatever was supposed to represent the devil. And I didn't realize that, know that for years, you know, the elevator, you know, going up, whatever. I forgot that. I... Let's go crazy. If the elevator breaks you down, right? Yeah, exactly. And that was the metaphor because, the you know, the industry didn't like that word. You know, he used another one, but you still got the idea of what he was trying to say, even using different verbiage. And that's just powerful. I know as a newbie coming into comics, I thought it was like, okay, one person sits down, draws and writes everything and somebody prints it and that's it. Not realizing there's letterers, there's colors, there's inkers. And then it was exciting for me because I'm a very big novel reader. I'm that library buff. I read a lot of books. And it was cool when I found novelists that I would read now doing comic books like Marjorie Lou, you know, we had on the show. I used to read her novels and then finding out, hey, she's writing a comic book. And hey, and it was like, whoa, like (laughs) that was mind blowing to me. And then I was like, duh, like then realizing why doesn't this happen more often? Because novelists are amazing at you only have words to paint this picture. Duh, it makes sense to put it together. 
you know, and that's on Laurel K. Hamilton, who's one of my favorite novelists. She has Marvel comics for her character, Anita Blake, and seeing that world kind of realized, you know, in picture format is amazing to me to kind of see that, okay, what was in my head and now seeing how she depicted it or her artists uh, depicted it is such an education for somebody who's new to it going to these cons like special edition I thought was amazing for that of really meeting the artist behind it and you know if you think about every novel you ever read there's always that about the author in the back right and it's always a you know they ride it living in Toronto with two cats and their next door neighbor and their weird flower garden whatever it is you know comic books you know you don't really have a lot of that in the back of the book right but going to these cons you get to finally get that piece to that whole experience, that whole comic book, you know, world and kind of seeing the author and the writers and the inkers and kind of getting their take on things. It's fascinating. I mean, for myself, I think it's fascinating. And they really should have about the author things more. I mean, you see it more in the in the the trade copies more than individual comic books, but I think that's that's awesome, you know. And music is definitely something that you know, I know with some of the authors that I follow, they online, they'll say, "Okay, this is the music I'm listening to today." And it sounds like, okay, why, why are you telling me that? But it really does give you an eye into, okay, this is how they go into that place. If it's a really dark scene where it's a gut-wrenching and somebody is dying, how did they get to that point? How did you put yourself in that headspace? Adrian, you should have her on more. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the go figure because the whole time I'm thinking to myself, all right, peace of mind or power slave? <laughs> oh, she's doing good. She's, she's all right. <laughs> I try. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not bad for a newbie. Not bad. I didn't realize I was a nerd until I met Adrian. And I was a closet nerd all these years because, you know, I'm Puerto Rican from Harlem. You know, that wasn't, you didn't, you weren't a nerd. You were cool. You know, you were, you did graffiti and, you know, and then at home in your notebook, you would grow, draw graffiti or you would copy, you know, the latest Superman cover in, in your book and stuff. And that was close to nerding you or let you. So you're going to have to consult on a comic I'm working on. All right. <laughs> I, I need to talk to a kid from the city and you're you're it i left early you know i mean but most of my family's in in you know manhattan bronx queens or whatever so whatever i don't know i can find out <laughs> i have a bunch from me you and i when we get together we're gonna we're gonna share a, i started a comic book and i'm gonna use you as a as a reference all right oh my god thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> now i could really rock that girls love comics thing and it, it'll be <laughs> legit now you need to hook me up with one of those shirts i need to get one <laughs> if i had any left i would i gotta actually print more on getting ready for comic-con I'm starting to, uh, you got to get the booth ready like months in advance. So I'm, yeah. And it seems to be getting earlier. Like, it's crazy. Like, they're already planning for Comic Con. I'm like, it's now February. Like, <laughs> give me some time here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of pressure, man. There, you know, you, you've got, uh, you know, 125, 130,000 people passing through those doors, and some of them will make it by your table, and you, you got to be ready. You're going to have to be, on your toes, ready to go, knowing what you're selling, knowing your audience. And how do you know how much to bring? That's my thing. Like, how do you know? You never know. And, you know, but that's the thing, you know, it's usually over three to four days and, you know, you're constantly rearranging your table. What worked at one show might not work at another show. And as a writer, it's like as an artist, you know, you can do a quick sketch or you can sell a sketch or you can sell prints. As a writer, I'm like, oh, well, I'll give you a really well-crafted paragraph, you know? 
There's not a lot. I do. I, the writers are undersold. They they are underappreciated. You know, at cons, yes, but it, it's definitely like at the culture itself. Like it's becoming very writer heavy. But you're right at conventions because you know a visual. You know, I'm a visual like, person, so art. I see so the So, of course, you're walking past someone who's got, like, doing a really great sketch or print. Yeah, it's going to catch your eye. But meanwhile, I'll be with Buddy. It's like, hey, um, can I write you a couple of lines <laughs> <Yeah>. for something? <laughs> so, um, thinking about that, and just so Adrian's listeners know, I had done a Kickstarter a couple of years ago because my daughter said, Daddy, some boys at school said that comics are for boys. And so I made a shirt that said, Girl Like Comics too," and I put it on Kickstarter. It sold. I didn't print that many. And then I took him to Comic-Con, and, and they sold well, too. Like, I thought it was going to be women who liked comics, and they were going to buy the shirts. But often it was, you know, fellow creators. It was, you know, the guy likes comics, and his girlfriend comes along, or the woman likes comics. And, you know, I didn't know much. So, yeah, I sold a lot of those shirts. And I think that um, I think that when you have a table at Comic-Con, you have to have a variety of products, and here's the one thing I found is you have to have a variety of price points because sometimes somebody's not ready to drop twenty bucks, right. right? Sometimes they're just ready to drop five. You got to make it easy for people to make a sale, and then you know continue that relationship, and maybe they'll come back tomorrow. I've I've sometimes sold the first issue of a comic, and then the next day they come back and they buy the second issue, and that's that's really fulfilling. But you know you have to be ready, and no, you I mean you never really know how much to bring. It's tricky. You know, I don't do as many cons as I used to. Uh, you get a better rhythm at what to bring to cons when you do a lot of them. But New York Comic Con and San Diego, they're, they're unlike any other beast in the world. You know, you can't compare New York Comic Con to a local show because it's just not. New York Comic Con is like a spectacle. You know, that's, it's a lot of flash and, and showiness as opposed to maybe a special edition where it really is about the art and the craft. Yeah. You know, and the talent that's behind that, you know, and I know that I got way more. I mean, I loved New York Comic Con the first time I went and I dressed up like Velma and, you know, and it was cool. But there was just too much to take in and nothing to really kind of really focus on. You know, you're just kind of absorbing all of this randomness. I mean, it's wonderful, but it's random. Whereas something like the special edition or Eternal Con or any of the other cons, you really get to kind of really see the roots of everything. Yeah, you see the loyal creators too, right? You see yes. people yeah. who are who are hanging their emotions out for everybody to see and judge their work, and they're putting it out there. And you got to give these people credit, you know, and mm -hmm. it's tough. You're putting your comic out there and you're putting your best face there and you're standing up straight at your table and you paid your table fee and you printed your book and you're just hoping you connect with that audience that we started off talking about. And it's really devastating when you don't connect or something doesn't work uh, and then really um, encouraging when something does work. So I think people have to be willing to ride out. It's like the stock market. You have to invest in yourself and spend the time, but then keep putting product out, right? You can't put out one product a year, and then next year you come out and somebody's like, hey, what else you got? And you're like, yeah, nothing. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything this year. Yeah, that's really tough, too, and especially like a larger show like New York Comic Con or you know, like a San Diego where because there's so much going on, you really have to find a way to sort of stand out. I like the fact that people are sharing more ideas about how to really gain visibility at your table. And for anybody who has a booth, I applaud them because I'd be there the whole time practically shaking and <laughs> I'd probably be sneaking in a lot more flasks. <laughs> 
Well, here, <laughs> here, here's something. Going back to marketing, I think it's, I think you brought up a great topic, Adrian, and I want I want to unpack that a little bit. You have to know what you want to accomplish from the con. All too often, I will be at a con and I'll be sitting next to on either side an artist alley, a creator who's got um, heads down taking commissions all weekend. Mm-hmm. If that person has their head down all weekend and then looks up on Sunday and they're flashing the lights and they're yelling clear the hall, and that person goes, wow, I didn't even, yeah, what happened? But after table costs and travel costs, you know, they've made money and that's that's great. But, you know, you could make a couple hundred bucks over the weekend cutting the grass or having a garage sale. Right. If your goal is, you know, you netted a few hundred bucks after all your expenses and really who adds up their expenses that well that they know how much they spent on food Mm -hmm. and they add up the big things. Right. Mm -hmm. But if your goal is more focused on how do I build those relationships, how do I get people to be customers instead of one time buyers? How do I get somebody to um, want to check out my next project? Those are really big decisions, and you have to plan ahead. Um, I always encourage artists to say, you know what? Set a limit on how many hours per day of the con you will spend with your head down because you could do that at home. Very true. Right? You could sell your art in prints online. Now we can connect with an audience. And yeah, could you get a little bit more? But also spend a little bit of time enjoying and networking and seeing your peers, talking to friends, talking to publishers, talking to editors, talking to future and potential collaborators, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the important things that people sometimes miss. And I get it. Going to a con is expensive and you have to make table. I get it. I totally get it. And yet at the same time, recognize that most of us, if we tried, we could scrape together a couple hundred bucks over the weekend just from selling random crap or doing a couple of odd jobs. Dude, you can go on Craigslist (laughs) and be a day laborer. No, I'm not. You know, like, it's funny, but it's true. I think if your goal is to raise a couple hundred bucks, and I've heard people go, I need a couple hundred bucks so I can pay for my table and I pay for my next issue. And I go, yeah, but you're at con right now. And you can raise that money on Craigslist if you needed to. So I always encourage people, you know, it is commerce based. Sell your prints, sell your sketches, but don't sell your sketches too cheap. Right. Don't do a twenty dollar sketch that takes you thirty minutes. Don't do um, that because that's not really adding up very well for you. You know, do a cost average of how much it costs you per hour to be there, and then ask yourself if that co- if if that sketch is paying for its time. Right. D- do a sketch for twenty bucks that takes you thirty minutes. Tell you what. Maybe that 20 bucks isn't that important to you. Maybe you can do it elsewhere um, or charge more. I'm I'm a big advocate of creators charging more, even though it sometimes costs me money as some, as a fan. I'm still a big fan of creators getting paid. I think we we sometimes are too humble and undervalue our own work. I want I want my fellow creators to go out there and not be shy about taking people's money, especially for doing sketches or writing paragraphs or doing whatever we do. Right. Although there's a flip side where I've seen some where they charge ridiculous amounts for a sketch or drawing or whatever. And it's like, that's all they're there. They just want, okay, I will draw this picture for you. But by the time we're done, you're going to be paying me 300 bucks. Yeah, no. Yeah. You know what? You're yeah. not going to make much money doing that because nobody's going to drop that, especially if they don't know you. Mm-hmm. If you're a new artist or you're just somebody who's just doing commission work, you don't even have a comic. You're just there. I draw and I draw really good and I'll draw whatever you want. 
But yeah, it's going to cost you this much for this and this much for this. And then by the time you add it all up, it's just kind of like, you know what? I can get this dude next door who will draw me whatever and I can pay 20 bucks. For sure. You know, there have been those guys too. And then you find that they're the only thing people are buying or maybe the little tchotchkes they have on the side so that at least they make some money. Yeah, <laughs> and it happens even on the creator side. You know, I'm creating comics and sometimes I'm looking for somebody to do colors or letters. And, you know, people will quote me these big prices because they'll look online and I get it. Mm-hmm. And I've had to tell almost everybody I've ever worked with that, the amount of money that I can offer you is no real reflection on your value. It's really a reflection on what I can afford to pay. And if those things meet up, great. Right. If they do not meet up, say, you know, I, I thought enough of you to reach out to you, but I can't afford you. And I, I've encountered many a people who've said, you know, I, I get $75 a page to color comics. And I think, yeah, no, you don't. Maybe you did once. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that to be the next part. <laughs> no, really. Tell the truth. Tell how you really feel, buddy. <laughs> yeah. If you're getting $75 a page and I and I can't afford to pay you that, um, you know, great. At the end of the day, you are trying to make money and you are trying to put your product forward. But then there's also you got to take into account going back to the keeping your head down thing is that you have an audience. You have a little bit of a responsibility to your fans. And I know that for me, there were some tables where, you know, everybody, they would be drawing, but they would, you know, if you came up and really wanted to talk to them, they would stop and they'll talk to you for a little bit. And, you know, you know, you realize, okay, they're working on something and you kind of know to back off. But there were some that were just kind of like, okay, they would be very dismissive. Now, if you don't, if you want to work and concentrate on what you're drawing, I get that. I hate to be interrupted when I'm working on something, but then make sure you have somebody with you at that table who can represent you while you're busy working on whatever piece that you're doing. Yeah. You know, yeah, you no, have to sure. have you have to have that balance because at the end of the day, if you don't have your fans, they're not going to come back. And if I had an author that I really love and then I meet them and they're a total douche, I'm probably not going to go back to their stuff just because I'm just kind of like, okay, like I don't want to support this person. And the reality is, is you know, you are at a show, mm-hmm. and I'm a firm believer in sometimes, you know. Someone else is better suited to man my table. Sometimes, <laughs> right? I, I've run out of steam by like Saturday at four o'clock. I'm like, uh. yeah. I found out about um, Eric Hutchinson from Inbeyond. I found out his wife was manning his table while he was doing the Inbeyond stuff because he has his own artwork, of course, his own comics. And then he has, you know, the Inbeyond booth. She's the one that was like, hey, this is his stuff. This is what we're doing. And found out even about her networking and her business. They're a team together. But if she wasn't there manning that table, I would never have found out about him and then gotten so involved, you know, with Inbeyond and and his comics as well. It also works with you. I mean, considering even just doing the podcast, I mean even at conventions there were a lot of people that i didn't necessarily meet because i was working elsewhere and had you not been representing or at least engaging with other people and then you came back it's like oh by the way i spoke to this person seems very excited it's like oh that's oh wait what (laughs) you know it's like yeah i talked to uh renaud oh paul renaud paul renaud from marvel and that was like oh my god that was a squee moment like i'm to sign like you know i had this old old spider-man comic that i probably got at some dollar store or something and he was like wow he goes this was one of my first things i did for marvel but he did it with a very good french accent which i'm not going to try and imitate but and it was like oh and it was like oh you know would you want and i just like put my foot out like i mean you know this is he's 
big has a big name about you know and just screw it hey you want to be on our show yeah here's my email call me you know like can you get in touch with me it was just like <laughs> oh my god i could be talking to him you guys almost sounds jamaican <laughs> you know i'm yeah i can't do french for i could do an indian accent i can't do french but yeah but it was just kind of like when would i have ever been able to talk to him and and just be like all right put it out there and he said yes you know i mean granted we still have to make that call but yeah it's amazing it's just amazing you know he was willing to look up from drawing to talk to me it was like hey you know like he yeah, he has a new fan you know just because he took his time to lift his head up oh man like shoot like i, I feel like we barely even scratched like half the stuff i wanted to talk to you about buddy why do you have to be so entertaining <laughs> Uh, listen, it was Eileen. I mean, I, <laughs> for a minute there, it, it, me and Eileen, were, and then you talked, and I was like, oh, I forgot we were on your show, Adrian. I thought it was just Eileen. This is the Eileen show. Yeah. Oh, sorry, babe. <laughs> oh, trust me. That's usually how this works, and I am not even no. offended by that. You're definitely the better half of this oh, show. Oh, no, babe. Thank you. Will I see you guys at New York Comic Con in October? <laughs> it's really hard to get into New York Comic Con these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we broke. <laughs> I'll be doing panels on Friday, and then I have my table Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. My kids will man the table on Friday, I think, or my wife or something. Yeah, so I'll be showing the new book. I was telling you, Adrian, just before the show, I I did a little bit of Marvel work. I wrote a comic book series called IBD Unmasked, and the idea behind it is it's a health education comic, but wrapped in a, a superhero adventure, and it will increase awareness about a health condition called IBD and I'm not a spokesperson for it, but I, you know, based on what I know, a lot of people manifest symptoms and those people are similar demographic to comic book readers. You know, a lot of people will discover comics at some point in their, you know, uh, late teens, early twenties and men are particularly good at ignoring symptoms. Um, women will go women, you know, go for regular checkups because they have to. But men, we can we can you wait ignore. till you're dying. <laughs> yeah, like we're like there's like I'm fairly certain that that arm is off. Yeah, um, King. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's I, just a flesh wound. Yeah. So um, with with IBD, I'm asked what they're going to do is help people to deal with the fact that sometimes there are symptoms and sometimes no, it's not nothing. You know, sometimes you have to go to the doctor and deal with it and be compliant with your medications. And, you know, a lot of people have health conditions and if they don't deal with those health conditions, they get worse faster. And maybe they do deal with a cataclysmic illness that ends up, you know, with some serious, you know, outcome. And then there are people who get get treated by their doctor and do they still have a health condition? Sure. So some of these conditions aren't curable per se, but you can get treatment. And what they want to do is get people who might be seeing these symptoms to stop ignoring them (laughs) and go talk to a doctor. Or if you have been diagnosed, recognize that that doesn't always mean that your life as you know it is over. It's just something that you have. Like I always tell my kids, everybody's got something you just don't always know what it is and people go on, right? You know, the people that you meet, they could have some sort of health condition that they're managing and you don't know, but they continue on with life. And I think that the important thing is, is, um, you know, people check out, uh, ibdanmask.com. That's, that's the website. And then the company that was now for our listeners, can you explain what IBD is? Sure. IBD is irritable bowel disease and, uh, it's, you know, it's a digestive condition and it's, it's a really, Tough disease, but it's tougher if you let it go too long. 
and then the uh, the companies that are sponsoring it are donating money towards research. So everybody person that vi- visits IBD Unmasks, uh, thank you for prompting that, Eileen. Um, it will uh, they'll be donating money. Um, so it's really kind of exciting because you know. Uh, we didn't talk about it in the beginning, but I, you know, I used to write comics for Marvel and they started reprinting my work because I did a lot of Deadpool work. Not a lot of Deadpool work, but a lot of my work was Deadpool work. And then the movie came out, so, or was coming out, so they reprinted all of it. So I got to see some work that I hadn't looked at in years. <laughs> uh, but that got me, it got me back in the door talking to Marvel again. And nice. I got this opportunity to do something and I, without giving too much information, mm-hmm. you know, I know people and who have some serious health conditions and education is hugely important. And it's so wonderful Absolutely. that people have figured out that comics can be a great vehicle for communicating uh, a message of, I think, hope, which is, you know, yeah, okay, you have IBD, get it treated and then, you know, go do things in your life. Like, be part of the world. So we created a fresh new superhero, a whole new world, a whole bunch of scenarios. And I think people will really enjoy it. The art is beautiful. I'm, I think they'll be at New York Comic Con. But if not, go check it out online. Um, that's one of the things I'm on. I got my new book, as I mentioned. And then hopefully um, I should have, if we can um, knock out the coloring in time, we'll have the first issue of a comic book project called midlife crisis it's about a superhero whose name is crisis and he's just past 45 and he realizes he's having his own midlife crisis uh so it's a superhero kind of like funny but at the same time serious undertones of growing up and realizing that the life that you imagined you would have is perhaps not the life that you were living and you know it's doubly so when you're a superhero who um he was not an A-list superhero. It's not like The Incredibles where he was awesome. He was always sort of a B or C-list guy and then wakes up one day and realizes, my best days are over. Wow. It was like um, classic man waking up middle-aged. <laughs> yeah. This is written right. for me. <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of a C-list Marvel or DC character that wakes up and is like, not only did I not achieve the things I thought I would achieve, I never even made it to the A-list. And I think a lot of these, you know, superhero parodies are usually about like the former superhero quarterback and all around teen heartthrob now, 45 years old <laughs> and now with a big pot belly. You know, I'm like, no, nah, this dude didn't. never even made it that far. <laughs> no, nah, he never made it that far. Like he was like a third stringer on the Avengers, right? Like the Avengers, if you remember back in like the 80s and 90s, like, they would rotate, right? To keep the licenses. Oh, alive. so this guy's like the Great Lakes Avengers? <laughs> He's like Machine Man, right? Like, Oh, man. He rotated <laughs> in, he had a couple of issues on his own, and then, yeah, it's like the Great Lakes Avengers. Well, the Great Lakes Avengers was more parody. Like they were purposely being That's funny, true. right? Um, oh, that was actually a thing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wasn't making that up. I thought public. you made that no, up. No, no, no. Like, you know, um, Alpha Flight, right? Like you can be like, oh, Puck. Right. Like Puck was like, yeah. oh, character. Yeah, it was amusing. Couldn't carry his own book, couldn't carry an action figure. And now he's 45 and he wakes up and he realizes well, what happened to the rest of my life. And I think we all live that. So hopefully midlife crisis will be ready by then. And I'm also I'm working on a couple of other projects and either looking for publishers or doing what we talked about in the beginning, which is just self-publishing. I'm you know, it's fine okay. if it doesn't make money fine. I'm, I'd be happy if my projects broke even and I didn't lose money. So that'll be the goal of New York Comic Con. Showcase my new comics, my new photo reference, have people come to my panels, and then, you know, hopefully develop new relationships like this one, where you meet people at a con and then you keep in touch. See, I'm so glad that I got injured and couldn't get up from our booth at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because at that point, once we got in, I was like, unfortunately, I just had knee surgery like, what, a month before yeah, that? Yeah, and we were like, how are we going to get through this con? Yeah, so by the time we got to the after party, like, all right, we're going to we're gonna post up here, and hopefully people will come to us. And then it's like, oh, hey, it's this guy. It's like, oh, buddy, it's Clara. Had no idea who you were, but then actually, not going to lie, I went home and like looked you up like, Holy crap. <laughs> hey. But hopefully we should be at New York Comic Con in some capacity. So fingers crossed. Um, We should hopefully make it work somehow. Yeah. I mean, at very least, if you don't necessarily go to the con, you know that after my panels, we have um, the, the fine guys from Creator After Con Network. Yes. Um, and they, um, just to give the value prop against that, I do educational panels and then I do Creator Connection, which is a which is a different form of networking. I try to make it fun for everybody. And even for introverted people, they come out going, hey, that was different than I thought. And it's different than any other con does it. And I started this, I don't know, 21, 22 years ago. I've been doing these. Wow. And other Right. And other cons have tried it and imitated it. And I think mine is unique because of the way I do it. But then I'm proud that after those networking, there was a bunch of people that got together and, hey, let's keep that dialogue going. So for people like you who didn't get tickets, you know, maybe you can join the AfterCon networking because it's just a way to meet like-minded people. And you don't have to explain that I like comics and, you know, no, I don't have to go through the, the every superhero movie. What do you think of this one? And what do you think of that one? <laughs> right? Sometimes you just want to get into the conversation and just talk about, you know, deeper ideas and your publishing aspirations. So, yeah, I mean, I hope to see you guys. I hope to see some of your listeners going to the AfterCon events because I think it's really important to make friends and your friends will always look out for you and always help you. And I, I won't lie to you that all of my, my Marvel work comes from my friends because, you know, we're friends. So you, you help each other and you bring these things along. Hopefully I'm competent and my friends keep hiring me. But the, re <laughs> the reality is, is you get your you get your work from people who like working with you. You diversify. You have your your fingers in a lot of different pots, and that's how you kind of stay working and stay relevant. And I love that comics are now being used for education. I know for my like my daughter is autistic, and a lot of times what they use in her therapies would be comic strips, oh. and they would sketch out the behavior you know it's kind of the abc thing you know it's of what the behavior was what triggered it this is how you should handle it and that's how they would teach her things wow and now you've been seeing more comics and and at schools they're using comics to teach kids about you know taking care of your teeth or nutrition or, or what have you or just you know how to respect you know diversity whatever it's great that they're kind of finally using that medium and it's not just superhero stories but it's a way to kind of you know, educate and reach out and get to those people that aren't going to sit down and read a book, you know, yeah. read a magazine or read a newspaper, but they'll look at pictures, <laughs> you know, and it's simple, it's straightforward. And, you know, that's amazing for me as, as a parent and someone who does, you know, appreciate comic books. I think that's really awesome. And, and I commend you for being involved in that. That's great. Thanks. And and I think, you know, and I think one, one of the cool things about comics and, and particularly you know and, and i don't know where your child sits on the on the autistic scale you know how functionally uh... she's actually very high functioning oh. fortunately she's brilliant she's oh, she's she's an anomaly you know because there are more boys than girls that usually are autistic 
And at first she was nonverbal and she got therapy and now she doesn't shut up. So, you know, the therapy works. You know, it really does. And these kids are brilliant. They just have that social behavioral thing where, or focus issues. And maybe telling them something or reading is hard for them, but they'll know the pictures. You know, and they'll tell a story in their own words, like, you know, as whatever words, language they have. You know, some kids are very verbal, some aren't as much, but they can make up their own story with the pictures and they can still learn from the pictures. Add to that, I think the key thing, and I think Scott McCloud had talked about this in his book or one of the, the educational books had talked about it, is that comics are unlike any other medium. It requires a level of participation that other mediums do not. That is, film or television runs exactly at the speed that it runs and you know if the running time is 121 minutes that's what it is right you right. we all hear the actor's voice the exact same way but in a comic book the boom and blam and dialogue of Wolverine and the snicked you hear it different you hear it differently than i do mm-hmm. and you play that in your head it is a participatory medium you have to physically turn a page in a movie it requires you really kind of to stop moving i mean you can walk a treadmill but for the most part you kind of have to stop moving and the same thing goes for a lot of other types of medium but for comics it's a medium where you have to participate or it doesn't work and I think that that's why comics resonate so deeply in our soul. And that's why for so long, you know, Stan Lee defined the way comic books sounded to me. He was like, true believers, now reading the latest adventure of Spider-Man and the X-Men, right? We all heard that voice, but comics are a participatory medium. And I think that's why when we see creators, we are so deeply moved and enthusiastic about it, unlike any other medium. And we can linger on a panel. You can't even do that in a novel. You can't linger on a sentence for very long. You could reread it, but essentially, <laughs> like, you can re- revisit a panel over and over again and just flip to it and jump to it, unlike any other medium. I think that's why it touches our soul so deeply. Buddy, thank you so much for taking the time out and chatting with us. Yeah, I mean, let's do this again. But uh, listen, I'm going to need your help. I need help on a story, and it takes place... In a, in a tough part of New York City. It would be uh, helpful to talk to uh, somebody who can give me some inside insights. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but before you go, please tell everybody where they could find more of your work. So any of your websites and social networking handles, please feel free to share all those with us. You can find me on Twitter. I have two different Twitter handles. One where I mostly talk about marketing is uh, Twitter is at Buddy Scalera. And then where I, I am... Uh, a comic book fan and creator at Comic Book School. Uh, the website is buddyscalera.com, the comicbookschool.com website. Um, and yeah, definitely keep an eye out for IBD Unmasked. Look for my photo reference books and hopefully uh, check out my new comics when they arrive. I'll have some of my old Deadpool at the table as well. Um, yeah, so I have a little bit of everything at the con and Come see me at New York Comic Con. You'll get to meet my daughters, uh, who will probably be my best salespeople when I walk away. From- <laughs> <laughs> and when well showered. <laughs> so, and thank you, Adrian and Eileen, for, for being such great hosts and inviting me into your home and, and letting me play in your sandbox because it, it is certainly a lot of fun to do something like this. It was nothing like an interview. And I looked up and I was like, oh, we've been we've been talking for a long time now. That's kind of our deal, you know, you just right. want to see what's in your head. It really is about the people that we're talking to. Anybody can hear us anytime. 
but it's really about the, the wonderful uh, people that we have on the show and, and kind of letting you guys have your platform and just go with it. And I think that that's a better conversation, it's a better interview because we're not Barbara Walters. We're not sitting here trying to <laughs> nitpick your life and, you know, and make things uncomfortable. We want this to be a happy experience. And, and if you've had that and you've had fun, then we did our job. Yeah, you certainly did your job. Good job. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> Listen, we have no show without any of our guests. Well, sure. maybe we would. It'd probably just be more of us going back and forth, but yeah. I don't know. The last few times we did it, it seemed to work out pretty yeah, well. Yeah, it worked out pretty well, but I don't know how, how if we could keep that up forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you so much for taking the time out. And it's funny that you should mention the two of us yapping because after the ending theme, you will hear us do exactly that for all of our social networking sites and other places where you can find us. But for now, this will do it for Agent Has Issues, and we will see you next issue. Bye-bye. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors, Zamboni drivers. (sighs) Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us. Ah, oh, McKenna, you're way cooler than I am anyway. Aw, oh, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com. <laughs>